0: Today's episode is with Randall Crowder, who is the COO of Funware. He's also a lifetime entrepreneur. He's got an incredible story of his business resume in terms of just the amazing things he's done in the VC world and the startup world, now helping run a publicly traded organization. Incredible guest. You're going to love this episode. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Okay. Hey. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Hope you're doing well today. We're sitting down with Randall Crowder, who's the COO of Funware. It's an American mobile software and blockchain company. Uh, If you've listened to the podcast long term, you know how exciting I feel blockchain is. So I'm excited to learn more about Funware. If you're not familiar with the company, they're pretty incredible. They're traded publicly on the NASDAQ. They have more than 940 million monthly unique active devices and over 5 billion daily transactions. This business is the real deal, and Randall is joining us today to talk about really what life is like helping run this business. Uh, Randall, it's so great to have you here today. I love great guests. I know you're going to be an amazing one. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, and I appreciate you having me. It's uh, it's a lot of pressure, you know. When you're titled good advice, you feel a little <laughs> bit of an obligation to not say anything stupid. So I, we'll see how it goes.
0: You know, I've been fortunate. It, 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 You know, first of all, it's always great. I love when I have someone on the podcast, like you and I were just kind of chatting before we even hit record. And I can always tell it's going to be a great guest. We're like, you know, someone like yourself, you have just an energetic personality, a very um like let's talk it, let's get into this. You know, it's really fun. I I have had, unfortunately, I have soiled the good advice name in the past where I've had people on where
1: Pulling, know, pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're five minutes in. And I'm like, man, like how did who sent me this guest? But you know, fortunately, like ninety-eight percent um who come on are pretty amazing. And um, you know, yeah, the good advice name. We're we're just we're out here trying to give good advice to business owners, entrepreneurs, startup founders. You know, you guys who are listening, you're looking for that good advice for your business. And uh the good news is Randall's here to give it to you. So no pressure. I, mean, you know, I,
1: I, I love what you're, I love what you're doing with well, the one thing. I mean, my lawyers hate it. I probably talk too much and I'm probably a little bit too honest, but I always feel like I'm not very altruistic. I just feel like honesty and transparency is easier to keep track of. So like, I just always tell the truth and tell you what's on my mind. That way, if you ask me about it again in like a month or two, I don't have to think about what did I say to which person. So I think, you know, for me, advice in general, it gets so colored, especially by entrepreneurs almost over a a y-axis of time and an x-axis of success and so it's like the more successful you get it either becomes real obstinate later on and less tangible or you kind of flower over all the mistakes like you don't want to like rehash all the times you almost went bankrupt or almost all the times you got sued or all the you know all the messy stuff and so i think a lot of people unfortunately you know when they start a company it's like a big shock. They're like, "Wait a minute! Like, I, yeah. I have to do. I have to be HR. I have to take out the trash. I have to do, you know, I have to, you know, combat all these things that are not just okay. I want to be Steve Jobs and just think of visionary, cool products." It's like, no, being an entrepreneur is hard and it sucks. I, I, <laughs> it is, I,
0: I love how you just said all that. I mean, <laughs> it is. I was just talking to someone the other day, and I was like, because they were asking me, like, "What's it like being a business owner, being an entrepreneur?" And I was like, "It's amazing, but it's also really miserable." <laughs> And he was like, Oh, that doesn't sound really great. I was like, Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I like again, I loved your phrasing. Like on social media, it's like you would think this is the most amazing you could ever do. It's so incredible, it's so freeing. And in some ways that that's true. But um, yeah, like lawsuits and you know, enough. competition, angry customers, HR. I mean, it's it's a complicated game. I
1: feel like there is it's almost like karma You know, over the years. And, and what I'm about to say is super gender neutral. So it's for, for men and women, because obviously, you know, I think, you know, some of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met are a woman. But, you know, I see a lot of my, like my guy friends who are just like, you know, super type A and like trying to like be the next Elon Musk. And I, I was telling them the other day, I was like, this is our payback for you know the women who when we were younger all had to grow up trying to live into like cosmopolitan or all these images of what women should be and now in entrepreneurship you kind of have something similar where you're always trying to like match this you know image from an influencer on social media or right. private planes and like you don't realize that a lot of that's fake or a lot of it's curated and so you know you really you, you don't know until you try and so i always tell people you know, forget about all your preconceived notions, forget about all your fears. You just got to, you know, Jimmy Chen, um, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, uh, free solo, uh, but he's, a, he's a, the cinematographer for it and a really famous, uh, mountaineer in, a, in his own right. And one of his famous quotes is commit, then figure it out. And I've always <laughs> loved that from entrepreneurship. And, and it's great to hear that from a climber, right? Commit, then figure it out. Um, especially when you're doing a lot of free soloing, you know, without any you know safety gear. And so, Entrepreneur shifts the same way, you know. Forget about what you see on social media. Forget about you know the motivational quotes. You just got to start something, plant a flag, and then figure it out because it's going to change. You know, the minute you hit
0: first contact. Yeah, it makes me think of um another quote, and I can't I can't place it. Um, but it is basically um if you aren't embarrassed by like the first iteration of the first product, first version <laughs> of your product, you release too late. And it's you know it's kind <laughs> of what you're saying. It's I like, like this that. this implicit like you know you're always You're doing it, but you're figuring it out after the fact. Like you're always iterating, you're always innovating, which is a lot different from the neat and tidy portrayal of. um, Because I mean, we all we all see the ads, we all see the posts of where someone's like, "Yeah, it was I was a server in a restaurant, and I I I was talking to someone this morning about like the obnoxious like fake gratitude posts, which are like, I'm so grateful (laughs) I quit my job serving at Chewies, and now I, you know, six months later, I'm a I'm a you know, eight figure millionaire. Like, wow. And I'm like, I'm like, selling dude, ads like, on YouTube. yeah, I'm like, come on, bro. Like, 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 why are you doing this? And I, I think it yeah. is like, I don't think it's all like intentionally malicious, but I do think a lot of it is, um, what you said. It's people trying to match like that influencer, uh, yeah. image, you know, how do I seem successful, all that stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's just not the real entrepreneurship game.
1: Yeah, no, it really is. not it's the, it's the, you know, the person at one o'clock in the morning, you know, selling books on real estate and like, they're not making money on real estate, they're making money on books. And so, yeah, yeah I think, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, if there's something is still happening, it's like, you know, the Nigerian email scammers, you know, it's like, they're still doing it. So it's like, it must work enough times that they still, you know, find it, it's profitable to do it. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it is up to the entrepreneur and that's part of the journey, right? You need to make mistakes you need to start companies with the wrong people. You need to have falling outs with your friends who you thought would make good business partners. Yeah. You gotta get food. You gotta you know, there's just things you need to do to kind of just, you know, toughen your skin and, and understand, you know, what it really is to be a business owner. And so, you know, you just gotta get started. Start making mistakes. That's the fun part.
0: Randall, I, I love how comfortable you are with like the pain of entrepreneurship. <laughs> It's like for me, like I envision, like you know, like my first year of business and like being in a ball, like in my bathroom, (laughs) and just like, you know, what is wrong with me, you know, and like you, it just seems like you're so comfortable with the pain that, that, especially those of us who are listening, who are like, and and I'm gonna group us all into entrepreneurs, but I'm I'm also speaking to those who've kind of transcended, like the sexy title and like they're three, four, five years into running a business. Um, Mm -hmm. You're talking about this in, in such not, not dismissing it, but just like, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. Right. So I'm curious your journey, like, like talk to me a little bit more about like your backstory. How'd you get to this point? Um, Not just COO at Funware, which is an amazing, amazing credit to you in its own right. But getting to this point where you are, you know, you recognize it, but it's almost like you're appreciative of the journey. I'd love to hear more.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's, so I always say, you know, I've made a career out of collecting jobs. I'm probably not qualified for, <laughs> but you know, what, what better definition for entrepreneurship than doing just that? Cause I mean, who's ever qualified to do what they're about to try to do because they're doing it for the first time, at least for them. Um, so I actually, you know, it's weird. you know, so I, I got started you know, kind of very circuitously. So I went to the military, I went to West Point for undergrad. Um, I went in, you know, I'm dating myself now, but I went in before September 11th, So I had no idea what I was getting into, you know, one of my good friends at the time had convinced me to go. And I was like, wait a minute, you got to be in the army, right? He's like, yeah, I was like, no, thanks. And so I did not come from the military family had no, you know, desire to be some, you know, patriot. Um, But over the over the months leading into kind of, you know, college applications, he convinced me and I did always have this internal sense of if you show me a challenge, if I don't know the challenge exists, I don't feel bad about myself for having missed out on that challenge. If you tell me the challenge exists and I willfully decide not to do it, it's like I'm admitting something about myself. Like I was scared or I didn't think I could do it. And I've always had this innate sense that like, well, crap, now I got to do it. And yeah. so he kind of kept pestering me. And I was like, man, if I don't go, right? I was like, well, there's no way I'll, I'll, I'll apply, but there's no way I'll get in. So lo and behold, I ended up getting in. And I'm like, damn it. So I was like, now I got to go. <laughs> so got in. Um, you know, Rumsfeld was downsizing the army. Um, you know, literally everything was kind of, you know, it was peacetime. And he always told me like, look, we'll get this great education and then, you know, we'll probably get paid to get out of the military. No big deal. I'm like, all right, that sounds good. No big yeah, deal. Little did uh, you know. <laughs> then, you know ju- yeah, junior year, <laughs> junior year, September 11th happens. And I still remember walking into my class, you know, first the day of September 11th and we walk in and it's this old cartoonish colonel and he goes, well, cadets, you're all going to war. I was like, "Oh man!" I was like, like, so damn it! This, well, this plan went out uh, the window. This, this has
0: got to be an. I mean, I'm just trying to think back to this. I mean, this this has got to be just a, a crazy moment, like an evolutionary moment yeah. for you, because, like, I remember being uh, in school. September 11th happens. Teachers like, "Hey, this is what's going on." There's all this like conversation, and it's 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 wild for me as a U.S. citizen, but also like. Out of reach, right because like I'm not going to war yeah. like for you, you're yeah. having you're having the same experience of like that we're all having and yet for you personally, it's about to get yeah. a lot more different for you yeah. and realistic for you, tangible than anyone else so yeah it,
1: it, it was it was pretty wild because you know and then you know you and actually at one point one we thought one of the planes was actually targeting West Point and so there was credible evidence you know so even the actual post kind of went down went on lockdown and kind of high alert. But, you know, if you fast forward, um, you know, wouldn't change it for the world. You know, it was deployed uh, a lot of times was in a, in a kinetic unit, um, Army Ranger. Um, you know, it was a very defining experience because, you know, you're dealing with a war that we had never fought before. And so all of the real leadership and decision making had to be pushed down to the smallest level. So you learn a lot about you know, leadership, because it's not big tank movements on open deserts against, you know, a fake, you know, Soviet Union enemy. It's, you're in a village, you don't know who's enemy, who's friendly, you're doing, you know, one minute you're a trigger puller, another minute you're doing, you know, you're handing out candy to kids. And so, and you have to play those roles very, you know, seamlessly. Um, But you also have to trust, you know, kids, you know, I had, you know, 18 year old, you know, enlisted, you know, specialists, negotiating ceasefires with tribal leaders. And so, you know, it's like you, you really have this incredible appreciation, and this has always stuck with me, for your, your resume, you know, your, your college experience or where you went to college or your upbringing, you know, nothing is such a great normalizer as getting shot at. And so, you know, I've always appreciated that, you know, the best ideas don't necessarily come from the most likely sources. And so be, making sure that everybody has a voice and everybody participates in any sort of ideation or strategic planning or tactical execution, I always you know, have kept that with me to make sure that everyone's voice is heard because you never know when the really great idea um, is right. gonna come up or who it's gonna come up from. But I will say being in the army will teach you, you, know, you either love a boss or you hate a boss. I've learned that I do not like having a boss. Um, bureaucracies <laughs> are not for me. Uh, and so in the military, I was always doing a lot of like odd things and, and kind of just kind of carved our own path. So I liked that small unit leadership, uh, but ultimately knew I wasn't going to stay in the military. So got out of the military, um, and then got into venture capital because again, you know, I didn't want a boss. And so I also, I knew I wanted to start a company, didn't know what company I wanted to start. So thought what better thing to do than be, learn venture capital so that I could see a bunch of entrepreneurs and how they did it and kind of know my enemy as well. If I'm going to have to raise money from VCs, I should work within a VC to kind of learn what they're going to think uh, and how they might think of me as an entrepreneur. And then fell in love with it. Um, It was one of those things where I love, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, entrepreneurs are like little drug dealers. You know, they, you just, they're, they're always pushing product and you can't get enough. And I love like passion and innovation and people just, you know, swinging for the fences, knowing full well that 95% of them are going to fail, but they're still trying anyways. <laughs> um, and so I ended up taking over an angel network, um, ended up growing that to be the most active angel network uh, in the country, the Central Texas Angel Network, um, and then used that to start my own fund uh, that was focused mostly on uh, healthcare technology. Ironically, while I was doing angel investing, I helped with the first one and a half million dollars to start Funware back in two thousand nine, uh, and then just kept, you know, you know, kept, kept, you know, on my venture capital career track. And then about five years ago, oh. uh, Alan and I were riffing on where Funware was and his plans to kind of take it public and to kind of expose it to more, you know, to, to blockchain. And I was doing some things in blockchain, and so I ended up agreeing to invest in the last private round uh, before we were going to go public. And then the old COO, great guy named Scott, ended up needing to step away for some health, uh, personal health reasons. And Alan said, hey, you know, you've been doing this VC thing for a decade now. You know, it's fun. But, you know, I know you keep talking about wanting to be back with a team. You know, I miss the camaraderie of one team, one fight. Yeah. Uh, I said, you want to you want to take this, you know, take fun to the next level and help build this thing with me. Uh, and so I think I surprised myself. I think I always knew I wanted to get back to a company. Um, but you know, it would take a very special company solving a big enough problem for me to want to do it. And, you know, when it, when you kind of mentioned it, it was a no brainer. I was like, absolutely. And so it's been a, been a wild ride ever since.
0: What's it like, like, you know, you mentioned, um, You know, kind of like getting bogged down with like the bureaucracy of the military, and you know, it feels like an entrepreneurship, and especially like in the startup world, um, it is very exciting and ambitious. And you know, you have your your seed funding, and then you move on to series, and it's like, oh my gosh, like we're getting investors, like this is incredible. And and I have no experience in this, by the way, but I I just my perception is like once you become publicly traded, there uh, I just I envision like a lot more inflexibility. In a a lot less agility, so like, what is what's it like navigating that uh, at the scope and like the space that you guys are in? I mean, is that does that like um, does it bog down your entrepreneurial spirit? Is it? Yeah. What's it like?
1: It's a great question. Yeah. So I think it it's not they're not mutually exclusive, and so I find that most entrepreneurs, or not most entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs punt the stuff that they don't really want to do. And you can, you can get by doing that until you can. So it's the entrepreneur who says like, okay, I want to start a company. Um, I don't, I want to bootstrap it. Right. Cause that's what everybody tells me to do. And, you know, I'm not going to go pay, you know, some, some big law firm all this money to start my company. My, my cousin's a real estate attorney. He'll, he'll hook it up. And, and that's fine. <laughs> and for like years, it's fine. And then like, Three years later, you're doing something and you look back and your docs weren't formed the right way or you don't have certain provisions that would have protected you. And you're like, oh, shit. And like it bites you in the butt.
0: Um,
1: And so it's the same thing I think of when I think of bureaucracy. You know, so it's called organizational development or organizational rigor. And so as an entrepreneur, I've always coming from the military where. It was interesting. You kind of needed the foundation of the bureaucracy which we always had but then when we went into iraq and afghanistan there was no playbook for it so while i was super excited and glad that the bureaucracy of supply chain and you know the bureaucracy of you know certain things that would support us in theater was there once we went outside the wire it was very entrepreneurial we were making stuff up as we went um i kind of look at you know entrepreneurship now the same way like you need good best practices like you need a good crm you need a good you know erp you need a good um you know you need good discipline around what you're building so that you can ideate so that you can do product manager anybody that's ever done product management will tell you you know who's your dev manager do you have a program manager do you have a product manager like who's managing the stories how do you who's managing the research how are you do you know what to build and you can't just be like hey I think we should go do this because that's the fun stuff to do. Like you need that rigor so that you don't make mistakes that cost you more later on down the road. So now being a public company, I actually love it because I have so much great discipline at the organizational level, which you could probably consider bureaucracy. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy around what we do with HR. There's a lot of bureaucracy around what we do with finance, Mm -hmm. but that bureaucracy and discipline gives us a platform to build all the products that we're building and ensure that we're not, you know, missing the forest through the trees, if you will. And so I I love it. And and now, you know, having those resources and people coming from, you know, venture capital, but then not having always doing startups. I was doing mostly seed series A, series B, where you didn't have a lot of infrastructure. It's really cool to now have, you know, great infrastructure, great people. And so when I have an idea, you know, they call me the good idea fairy. You know, I'll have an idea around one of our products and then immediately to see my team spin up design, spin up storyboards, spin up, you know, what would the engineering kind of Gantt chart look like? How do we prioritize features? When can we actually deploy this? How are we going to QAQC it? Like, it's cool to see all that just work. Um, and so, similarly, you know, in the military, hey, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go invade this country. All right. Now, all of a sudden, all these things and all these wheels have to get, you know, spun into motion. If you don't have that as an entrepreneur, you're going to fail. You have to have it.
0: I, I love that insight because I think a lot of times people get into entrepreneurship because they, it's like they're embracing like this creativeness within them. Like this, yeah. it's this passion that's linked to creativity and like, you know, your imagination is running wild. You know, what all could happen? Like, where could this go one day? And then someone like yourself who says like, well, hey, like, how are you, like, how are you structuring this? How are you organizing this? Um, And and I've had this conversation with lots of people. And sometimes the pushback I get is, you know, oh man, you're being a downer on my creativity. Like, you're really, (laughs) you know, you know, you're really bumming me out. And it's like, you know, you really need a little, because I, and I think the reason for it is a lot of us have left like the corporate world to do entrepreneurship. And so yep. sometimes it feels corporate to instill those things, uh, but I, I think you're 100 right. At some point, you need that, and I love the phrasing you use that rigor, that organizational yep. rigor, that discipline to be able to scale, to grow, and what have you. Um, since you were running an, an angel investing network, you know I'm curious. Like, did you come across startups that you know they were looking for investing, but they were resistant to? You know, creating that structure, creating that foundation, um, or or do most people once they get to the point of funding, are they pretty pretty open to yeah, whatever systems we need to put in place, we'll do it.
1: Yeah, you know, I, more often than not, I probably see it's not a it's not a chosen resistance. It's just a function of experience. It's just a function of punting all the hard problems. Like you just say, like, all right, well, I'll get to that, and I'll get to that, and I'll get yeah. to that. And again, you can manage that. You can spin those plates, um, and it, sometimes it never bites you in the butt. But you know, it, when it starts to, when the wind starts to blow, spinning too many plates gets real chaotic. And so, it's cool when it's all still. Um, but when the chaos ensues, and it typically does, then you kind of regret not having all these things. And I think the other thing is. You know, for me, I've always been big on expectation management. And so, like, if you're trying to recruit and, and, and retain some of the best talent, they're going to expect, I mean, if they come, if you're like, hey, you're hired and then you show up and you're like, um, yeah, a business cards, like a computer, like, what are we doing here? Like, oh, well, um, you probably just use your own personal computer, right? Like, okay, great. All right. Where do I file, like, an expense report? Okay. Um, well, I guess just give us the, all of a sudden it starts to get a little wonky and you're like, wait a minute, like, is this a real company or not? And so some of the, you know, when we bring on, you know, salespeople, you want to be able to train them on like HubSpot or Salesforce. You want to be able to have a lot of content to be able to get them up to speed relatively quickly. You want to have that rigor and how do you onboard somebody? And so it's setting expectation because the very best people, you're not doing them a favor you know, they're doing you a favor, like, and, and in the best world, you're doing each other a favor, right. But I, I say the, the A players, you know, they, they can do anything in the world they want. And and you're, you're so blessed to have them. And so you want that rigor to bring them on in a structured professional way, even as a startup. So the best startups I saw, you know, ran their startup like a big business. It didn't mean that they became slow and archaic, It just meant that they put their best foot forward, whether it was operationally, with sales, or with their customers. And it really, you know, you could tell. And then the other thing that I would always look for, regardless of their commitment to discipline organizationally, was just commitment to the business. Um, I remember one day I had two back-to-back pitches, and it was just ironic because the first one was two guys from Wall Street um, who had talked the entire presentation about how much money they made. And then I just asked them like how much were they putting into the deal? And they were like, well, they literally flippantly said like, well, that's what we're here for. Like we're, we're here for your money. Like we're not putting our own money in. I'm like, Hey, that's totally fair answer. You can play with the house's money by all means, you should. But then the next presentation was, you know, a, a teacher, who had, you know, maxed out two credit cards, mortgaged <laughs> her house, refinanced her parents' house and like check, cashed in her 401k. So I'm like, bad and this so relatable. Woman <laughs> will, this woman will run through walls to make this successful. You guys, you know, whether it's successful or not, you know, you have no skin in the game. So what does it matter? So like for me, even more important than the organizational, you know, commitment, I like the, you know, I, I call it a walkaway factor. What is your walkaway factor? As an entrepreneur you know and so when entrepreneurs are raising money from people they should understand coming from a a career investor that's one of the things i'm looking for you know i want to know either a how much money have you put in b how much money have close people to you that you do not want to fail how much money have they put in because people operate differently when mom and dad's retirement fund is in the company when their best friend from college, you know, his family's money in the company, when their own money's in the company, um, and that's always been one of the most meaningful tells to me of how driven you'll actually be.
0: Yeah, and for those of you who are listening, who you've maxed out two credit cards and you know <laughs> refinance the house and all that stuff, who um, to you? <laughs> yeah, you got to, you have a lot of company. You have a lot of companies, so don't, yeah. don't be too hard on yourself. Um, I want to go back to a comment you made that I really like too. You know, we talk a lot about like the customer experience. And um, I, I think newer business owners, like the easiest way to think about this is like your average like Chick fil A visit, you know, a business that mm-hmm. has, they have spent a lot of time and effort on that experience and it being yep. similar wherever you go. Um, I think the employee experience is also really important. And I think you, yeah. you hit the nail on the head on, you know, some of these systems that we develop internally are directly related and this is so important today because you know the anti-work movement is getting so much momentum right now with people who are pissed off who are swapping stories you know let me tell you my story you know all these different things and so it's all the more reasons you know i think 10 years ago the whole like well you know they should just be grateful they have a job doesn't fly anymore right and so I i just appreciate the way you phrased it of you know they're they're doing us a favor. You know they're blessing us with their talent. Um, that seems yeah. like a really healthy perspective, especially in today's culture. You know, great resignation. It, it's hard to keep talent. Yeah. Um, I think that's good advice for all of us.
1: It really is, and I think we talked about this before we got started officially about just kind of you know where are we at in terms of the you know work from home, you know, versus trying to return to work kind of movement and and that you know, very real tension between the two. And I think it's going to be something that people wrestle with um, for for a while. For me, you know, the, again, it's like I'm always, you know, as, as a leader, I'm, you know, and I would say this, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're working with somebody, you know, never always, never under, never assume that what the story you're hearing or the conversation you're having is exactly what the person you're having with it is trying to get out of it. So I had a lot of little, like, you know, trick questions as a VC, like where you think I'm asking you one thing and I'm not asking you that at all. I'm asking you something else. And, and, you know, there is, I think a lot of that in leadership where I'm watching how people interact with each other. And so, you know, you could be the smartest person in the room, but that doesn't mean you're the most valuable to me or the company. Um, And I think for me that, you know, I am, I am big on camaraderie. And so, as much as I appreciate, you know, all of the talent we have, I am looking for some of our talent to self-organize. And it's been really cool to watch. And so like one of the reasons why we're looking at new space and Newport beach area is that team is like chomping to get back into the office together. They don't have to, they're incredible engineers. They're incredibly, you know, a lot of our engineering talent is over there. Um, but they're like organizing lunches, you know, they're meeting together (laughs) to get back together because they miss riffing. And I think that there's, there's, that's, that makes me so proud to watch that because it's not just about, let me do the job. You know, we spend what 80% of our time at work. And so you need to love what you do kind of old, you know, adage. Um, and, and they, they want to work together because you know, the crazy thing is nobody's really talking about the inefficiencies of working from home. You know, I, I have, I, I and I do it all the time where I'm trying to get people off of this idea that everything needs to be a meeting. You know, I'll have a, I'll have a 30 minute meeting for something that, and if they were in the office, they could just pop by. I have an open door policy. They could be like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And it's like, you know, maybe it's you know something Two branding seconds. for the product yeah. or a feature or something. I'd be like, you know what, I like that better, and then we're done. Versus hey, do you have some time? Let me get on your calendar. And then we've got to riff for a couple of, it just, you know, it's almost less efficient. And so I like that, just that ability to riff in real time with people. Um, and that's not going to be for everybody, but the kind of culture we're building at Funware, that's what we want. Um, we, and we want people who are asking us, hey, when are we going to get back to the office? Not, hey, I'd really like you to come in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Like I, and so my goal is going to be to try to create you know, really great environments for people to be at their best, uh, and have access to systems that make their job more efficient. Yeah. So that commute becomes something that is, you know, they're okay. You know, it's like, look, I will feed you, you know, come in, we're going to have you know, catered food all day. So at least you don't have to cook breakfast and lunch. And you know, you want to bring your you dog run. So you want to bring your dog, bring your dog. Like, so and, you know, we're going to try to make it, you know, a place that it's not about, you know, I'm avoiding health or I'm avoiding the commute. It's like, I can't yeah, wait to get to the office. To build something great together.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really special, and I think I think the um, intentionality you're giving—I mean, it it says a lot to you know a lot of people. Culture's like the afterthought, and uh, one of the things that I've been talking a lot about, some of my customers and on social media, has been you know culture has to be now. I mean, this this was true a few years ago, but all the more now, it has to be a deliberate strategy. Like, just like a marketing strategy, you know, whatever else, it can't be an afterthought. And um, it's just, it's exciting to hear about what you guys are doing and and some of your, um, where your mind is. Um, I appreciate it. Randall, we're running out of time. Tell me, I'll ask two questions. Uh, We didn't really talk about funware, which I I apologize. (laughs) I mean, sometimes people come on and I'm like, man, this person has so many great insights. It's easy (laughs) just to run wild with just, you know, their insights and perspective. Um, What do people need to know about funware? And second of all, what's next for you? Not necessarily like, you know, job or anything, but like, what are you putting your attention on? What are you focusing on? What are you spending your energy on? Um, those two questions. Yeah, we'll the, wrap good, up.
1: the good answer is it's one and the same. It's Funware. So, you know, from a, from a, from a high level perspective, um, you know, we started kind of the mobile, <laughs> the mobile movement, I mean, if you will. So we started somewhere in 2009. Uh, We built the first NASCAR app. We built the first NFL app. We built all of Fox's mobile application portfolio. So we were really good at building mobile ecosystems uh, for millions of customers. Now it's no longer good enough just to have a mobile application. Everybody's wrestling with, you know, how do I deliver what I call contextual engagement? Some people call it digital transformation, but it's this idea of how do I get the right content for the right person on the right screen at the right time in the right place to drive profitable behavior. And so what we're doing now is using mobile to tech enable user experiences at smart venues. So hospitals, hotels, luxury residential buildings, even workplace. Since we were talking about workplace, I want to turn your mobile phone into a mobile concierge. So we license mobile software to do just that. Um, and so, you know, whether it's not, you know, so we do these really immersive maps so you don't get lost on property. You know, you can book amenities. You can, you know, call valet. You can, you know, do, you know, book conference rooms and you know, whatever whatever your unique experience is. We put it all at your fingertips, um, using a mobile device. So it's really cool, kind of, you know, minority report type stuff. So if you've seen a right. you know, minority right. report with Tom Cruise when he's walking through the mall and the holograms are popping up and the advertising. And it's customized, customized to each to person. Or, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's so cool.
1: that's what we do. Um, we just use a mobile device today. Uh, and so what's cool about that, you know, that, that contextual engagement that we can deliver with now we're, you know, to you your second question, a lot of what we're doing now is tied to blockchain. So we've got the mobile software layer that allows us to deliver that contextual engagement. Now we're using blockchain to verify that engagement, but also incentivize that engagement. So we actually have two different digital assets, Coin, to deliver, you know, kind of verified data. Uh, and then fun token, which is basically to value that engagement. So every time you click on something, share something, like something, do something, engage with a brand, you're informing a data profile about who you are, what's important to you, and sometimes what's even around you. And so we want to basically pay you for that. So we're going to reward you for doing the things you naturally already do. We, our software can do that. Um, so that's, Fun token is actually available now on buy.funtoken.com. And so we are the first public company to issue our own cryptocurrency. You know, there's a lot of, there's a couple of public companies that mine uh, Bitcoin, but there's nobody that's actually navigated the regulatory minefield to actually do this um, as a public company. And so that's exciting to be the first. Uh, also very painful, uh, but you know what? We don't like to sit still. So fun token is that kind of valuing engagement that picks and shovels in our model. And then fun coin is a security token. It's actually regulated. Um, that's kind of the, the gold mine. So that's the value of all that data. So every time I'm doing something and teaching the data engine about who I am and what's important to me, that's making that data more valuable. If a brand buys that data, it will also pay you for that. So right now. You know facebook and google they just exploit you you know they take all your data sell it to the highest bidder and, and right. you get nothing you know right. maybe you get to check out kim kardashian or something or <laughs> you know fight with people on social media about mandates uh but you don't get any compensation for it even though right. it's your data so i always yeah. say it's like someone just shows up on you know your parents land and, and plants an oil rig and they're like you're like wait a minute what are you doing you're like yeah, yeah but we 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 paid for the rig you're like yeah but it's my land like, like it doesn't matter we paid for the rig and the labor to pull the oil out. And you're like, that doesn't seem right, but that's what's happening with data. And so we want to kind of change that model. So we're taking all that we know about mobile software because we live in a mobile first world, it's quickly becoming mobile only. We're injecting blockchain into it um, to kind of take it one step further uh, and hopefully build a truly decentralized data economy. So, you know, taking the ability to not only engage people on mobile, verify that engagement and incentivize that engagement as one kind of virtuous ecosystem. It's a big, big idea, but you know, you might as well go big or go home.
0: Man, it blows my mind. Just like what could be <laughs> what could be true, like just even five years from now? I mean, it really Absolutely. blows my mind. It's really exciting. And um, uh, and credit to you, man. I, I know this is probably, I mean, my brother, he he helps businesses roll out crypto assets that are um regulatory compliant. And uh he was like, Yeah, I love it, but it is really messy, painful, <laughs> really <laughs> clunky. Painful. So, yeah. um, I think when it was the Wild West before the SEC got involved, I think a lot of people were loving it, and now they're like, "Oh man, I can actually get in trouble for this, so I better, I better." Uh, <laughs> as it goes back to your original comment. I'm like, you know, you had you had your brother realtor. You know, put some plugins together, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, that wasn't kosher. And now, now it's not so great. So,
1: and there, there lies the opportunity. It goes back to what we are talking about the bureaucracy, doing things right so that you can do things better. Um, You know, you you can't do better if you haven't done the fundamentals right. And so, I think the world will flock towards credibility over the next couple of years, especially in crypto. You know, it's too many scams, too much BS. Um, and it happened with the dot com boom as well. You know, you kind of had it had that bubble burst and then you had the professionalization of the Internet uh, with things like you know, AdWords and what Google was doing. And then you know, obviously Amazon came along and now it became like this professionalized enterprise that you could make money on. That'll happen with crypto as well. And, and the winners will be the ones that did everything as close to right as possible because it's going to keep changing. You know, nobody knows exactly what right looks like. But if you put your best foot forward and you make the effort to try to live into the guidance the SEC at least currently has, um, you know you're going to be the ones that I think are going to be you know at the head of the line, you know, as these things commercialize. So we hope to be one of them.
0: That's great. Well, it's exciting stuff, man. And Randall, this has been an awesome episode. Terrific guest. Really loved our conversation. And um, we'll, have to, we'll have to meet up again soon and chat again.
1: I would love that. I would love that. And if you're ever in Austin, let me know. And if, yeah. I, if I'm ever in, in favor, I'll let you know. But I'd love to meet you in person one day.
0: Of course. Of course. Well, Randall, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks, Blake.
0: Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put all the relevant links about Randall and Funware down in the episode description below. Make sure you check that out. And also, hey, if this is your first time listening to the podcast and you loved this episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button, click that follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And don't forget, if you want to support the podcast, if you want to buy me a cup of coffee, uh, which in today's culture could be 30 cents or it could be $8, um, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash good advice, where you can support the podcast and continue to contribute to the good work that we're doing and having awesome guests like Randall on the show. Also, don't forget, we are continuing to roll out new episodes three times a week. So make sure you have the podcast checked out and subscribe to on Spotify, iTunes, or really anywhere you listen to podcasts and be uh, staying tuned for, uh, excuse me, stay tuned for the rest of our amazing guests coming at you at the beginning of 2022. We hope things are going well for you. And that is today's good advice. We'll catch you later. See ya.